Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. We're going to continue worshiping our God together as we open his word. So if you'd open up your Bible to the book of Malachi, chapter 1. We started a series. Chris did a great job kicking us off last week uh, in this book of Malachi as we study the Old Testament prophet's words to the church as God sought to reclaim the worship of his people. All right, Malachi 1. Talk about changing gears. This book... It should come with a warning label, for sure. This is what, Malachi is one of those kind of make sure your seat belts are fastened and your tray tables are in their lock position type of book. It is a, it is a shake it up kind of book. And uh, I really didn't even need to say that. All I need to do is just read the text and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Ready? Malachi chapter one, picking up where we left off last week. By the way, didn't Chris Kinsley and Eric Rosenberry do a solid job these last couple of weeks? Can we praise God? Man, so thankful for those brothers. All right, Malachi 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master, but if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar? How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you bring a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor, asked the Lord of armies? And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor, asks the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food, is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen lame or sick animals. You bring this as an offering? Am I to accept that from your hands, asks the Lord? The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter two. Therefore, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart, to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave these to him. It called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. 
For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So in turn, I have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you're not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. Well, tell us what you really think, Malachi, right? (laughs) But But it's even tougher than that because Malachi says, I'm just the postman. I'm just delivering the mail. The sender is God. All the eyes, I will do this, I will curse your blessing. That's God talking. That's not Malachi talking. That's, I'm just the mouthpiece. Don't confuse me with the mouth. The mouth is God's own holy mouth. It's funny that Chris Kinsley mentioned the show Survivor last week because I'd never seen the show Survivor before until the holiday break and uh, our son Will got us into it. So we watched our first episode of Survivor, and the one that we happened upon, we kind of looked up top 10 Survivor episodes. So it's like, if we're gonna get in, let's get in strong. So we looked at the, one of the top ones, and there was a, so if, in case you're unfamiliar, uninitiated Survivor people out there, it, you're basically a group of people are dropped onto a remote location, remote island type of place. And it's their goal to try to not get voted off. There's competitions of various things, social cues and dynamics and stuff. So they're trying to not get voted off the island. Well, there was this one particular character. Her name was Abby Maria, a very feisty Brazilian gal. And she dubbed herself a villain in the show, used the term villain. Well, Abby would blow up on people verbally and just light them up in all directions. She was very hostile toward people, very hard to get along, impossible to get along with, really. And she just light people up. And at one point, there's a tribal council where they all meet together. And it's the first time that the group actually calls Abby out for the way she treats everybody else. And Abby hated it. Abby was having none of, she called them all bullies. She said, your words are so harsh, which is just really ironic. And they weren't even using the same, they weren't dialing it up to 10 the way that Abby frequently dialed it up to 10. It just proved one of those, the old adage that sometimes people love to dish it out and they don't like to take it, right? Well, that was what happened with, with Abby. I wonder how many of us are familiar with this fact that sometimes God says uncomfortable things. <laughs> Well, if you've ever been on the receiving end of uncomfortable uh, feelings when God is making his word known to you and there's a sense of conviction, there's a sense of I'm facing the wrong direction. God is adjusting me right now. God is in my grill right now. He's getting on something and it's really not comfortable. If the Psalms are God comforting the afflicted, Malachi is God afflicting the comfortable. As Chris last week so helpfully set up that Malachi has a unique approach to his message because he structures it around these so-called disputations, six disputations. And it basically goes, each one of those disputations goes the same way. So God states his case, you saw this last week, and then his people question and challenge the case that God has stated, and then God answers their questions, refutes their challenges, and admonishes his people to turn back and repent and turn back to him and worship. So we saw 
disputation number one last week, and we'll see that same structure here again, beginning with God stating his case. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is this, the where. Where is my honor? It's how the disputation begins. Look at verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master, but if I am a father, where is my honor? What's going on here? Well, God's opening words identify the core problem in Israel. He's going to address the insufficiency of of the sacrificial system and how that was being abused in fifth century BC, but it's not mainly a sacrifice problem. The sacrifices, the deficient sacrifices approach is a symptom of the deeper problem. The deeper problem is where is my honor? Augustine, the great theologian of the fourth century AD, he said this, that God maintains nothing with more justice than the honor of his own dignity. And here's God thundering toward his people and saying, where is my honor? Where is my glory? You have thought small thoughts about who I am. You've disrespected my name. What's what's scripture say about the beginning of wisdom? The what? The what of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which is to say that they forgot lesson number one. They forgot the fear of the Lord. They forgot God is not like us. He is totally in another category. He is glorious beyond all human imagining. He is transcendent. He is holy. He is perfect. He is just. He doesn't tolerate evil. We forgot he's not like one of us. They forgot lesson number one. And nobody should have known lesson number one of wisdom than the priests. And that's why God has the priest in the hot seat. You can detect who's uniquely in the hot seat, and it's the priests. And you pick that up because it's the priests who were the ones who offered the sacrifices. So it was the priests who were bringing blemished offerings on behalf of the people. You, priest, present, God says, defiled food on my altar. God describes, look at verse six, he describes the priest in Israel as, quote, priests who despise my name. The name of God is tied to the character of God. They are one. That's why the Ten Commandments talk about not taking his name in vain. It's about not treating God lightly, not treating God with disrespect in a cavalier manner. So to despise God's name is to despise God himself. It's to live as if his words don't weigh very much. To live as if his words don't weigh very much. Come at it the other way. So you want to see somebody whose life makes much of God, whose life treats God as weighty and worthy. Find the person, find the Christian who's fighting temptation 
Find the Christian who's putting off sin and cultivating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Find the person who's trusting in God even when life hurts, even in the midst of suffering and pain. Find the person who's learning how to be quick to hear and slow to speak. That's a life of worship. In other words, all of our lives are meant to be lived in the worship of God. That's why the Puritans would say in the 17th century, we live all of life, Latin phrase, corum Deo, that is before the face of God. God sees us. And we want to live for his pleasure. Paul would talk about in Colossians, pleasing him in everything. That's what God is after. His people living beautiful lives in the world. Apostle Peter talked about that in the New Testament. So the disputation continues. We move from the where to the wonder. The where, where is my honor? The wonder, how? How, we wonder, have we dishonored you? And this kind of dialogue is going to be the pattern throughout Malachi. Back in verse 2 of chapter 1. If you've got your Bible open, you see in chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you ask, how? Prove it. (laughs) How have you loved us? Show me the money, right? (laughs) Putting, throwing God in the dock. And here again, in our passage, God says, verse 6, you despise my name, yet you ask, how? How have we despised your name? In verse seven, God says, I'm glad you asked. You you put defiled food on my altar. What's up with that? How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? And this is where things get interesting, I think, at another level. When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. Anybody think that the people were actually mouthing those words? I'm not sure they were. I suspect they weren't. I suspect what's going on here is God is wearing his omniscience on his sleeve. He's saying, you don't have to actually say the words for me to know, right? I'm not that kind of, I can see the interior of the heart. You ever had one of those moments where, um, where your thoughts came out of your mouth and you didn't intend for it? You know, one of those, did I say that out loud? And you look around at people and they're like, yeah, you said that out loud. <laughs> You're supposed to keep it inside. You're supposed to, as we've said to our kids so many times, process internally, right? Just, you know, don't let that out. Sift it for a second and then maybe consider saying it out loud, right? Um, that's one of the awesome things about Malachi is God says, I'll say out loud what your hearts are saying. Here's what your hearts are saying. The Lord's table is contemptible. What does this matter? Outward forms satisfy him. That's all it takes. You ever stop and remember, we can't fool God. He, he's gracious, but he's not gullible. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. We can't hide our motives from him. He sees to the bone, he sees, he discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. You think a little bit more about verse eight. You see that language that he's using there? You you present blind animals, you present lame and sick animals. So if we lived in Old Testament times, um, your family, our family, all our families, right, you you would present for for the upcoming sacrifice, you would present an animal from your herd from your flock and you would give that animal to the priest and then the priest would offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering and so forth to atone for your sins, to to cover 
the sins of the people. And instead of bringing an unblemished animal, you were supposed to bring the best one from your flock, the unblemished lamb, the unblemished goat, the unblemished offering. But instead of presenting the best of what we had, they'd bring one-eyed Bessie is basically what's going on here. One-eyed Bessie, limping, could barely move, barely walk, right? One foot in the grave, Bessie. And they would bring that for the offering. And God says, you think I can't see this? You think I can't see what's going on here? And here was the principle. The measure of devotion is reflected in the sacrifices given. The measure of their devotion was reflected in the sacrifices given. God says what you're offering me is practically roadkill. <laughs> He's saying, look, I know what happened here. You, you, you didn't bring the best of your goats, of your, of your flood. You hit that thing on the intersection in 119 and 280. You put it in the back of the truck. You gave it to the priest and you thought that you'd pull one over on me. I saw the whole thing went down. Animal was practically dead when it got here. He says, look, you want to do something? Present one-eyed Bessie to your governor for the inauguration ball. How's that going to go over with him? Braised veal, tire tracks in it. What's he going to say? It says God is being sarcastic here. You ever stop and think, am I presenting shoddy sacrifices to God? As if, you know, he'll take anything. Shoddy sacrifices. One of the most stunning moments, I think, in the pages of the New Testament Gospels is in Luke chapter seven. Jesus comes into the house of a Pharisee and the story reads this way. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and a woman in town who was a sinner, this is a woman with a bad reputation, everybody knew who she was and what she was into. A woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears She didn't need water. Her tears were the water. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, so this is interior thoughts, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus says, you think I didn't know what you were saying in your heart? And he, just like the God of Malachi, says, you didn't have to say it out loud. And Jesus says, wait, so you're, you're judging her extravagant offering? Jesus says, I can explain exactly what's going on here. She loves much because she was forgiven much. Where's your offering? How come I came to your house? You gave me no water to wash my feet, and yet she has washed my feet with her tears, and she's drying it. Right now, while I'm talking, she's drying my feet with, she's got no towel, she's using her hair to dry my dirty, recently washed feet. She's perfuming my feet. Where's my perfume from you? She's kissing me. Where's my kiss? He's saying, you shouldn't be judging her. You should be joining her. Where's your extravagant worship? I remember seeing, when I was a kid, there was a, my dad's best friend was a man named Ed Werner. He was a colossal human being. Uh, and his brother, Mario, 
was also, these were like two zip codes. These men were huge, really powerful guys. And I remember when Mar, his brother Mario came to a worship service and it was really, my dad's church was a really small church and Mario, the Lord got a hold of Mario's heart and that man broke and he wept like a child. And I still remember so well Mario and Ed crashing into each other at the front of the church, embracing, weeping. It was godly sorrow. It was gospel joy crashing, colliding in a church gathering. It was, it was extravagant. And if there were people who were like, oh, there's a little bit too much emotion, I think it's, there's a sense in which Luke chapter seven, Jesus says, this is all right. <laughs> this extravagant praise is fitting to the work that God has done. The measure of devotion is reflected in the sacrifices given. The where, the wonder, and the thunder. If you don't divine demand, I will divine threat. Look with me at chapter two, verse one to three. Again, therefore this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen, here's the if, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants and I, this is God, I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices and you will be taken away with it. I almost named this sermon when the church gets poop on its face but I thought it was just a dash too snarky. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what God is saying. He's gonna do something unthinkable, right? There's this radical contrast. So what's going on? There's a radical contrast in these verses that point back to the priestly blessing that takes place earlier in scripture in the book of Numbers. So the priestly blessing, Numbers chapter six, this might be familiar to some of you. Here it is, number six, verse 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. So we're talking about priests blessing, the priestly benediction over the people. This is how you're to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you or keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they, the priests, will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. So the priests are saying, may the Lord bless you. And God in that moment is conferring and conveying his divine blessing upon the people. I think that's the background of what Malachi is saying here, but, but it's, there's kind of an ironic reversal of everything. Since the priests have despised the Lord 
In a kind of ironic reversal, God is giving the priests back measure for measure so that now their blessings will carry the force of a curse. The benedictions will carry the force of a malediction. Instead of the face of the Lord shining with favor over the people, the faces of the priests will be covered with the refuse of their unworthy offerings. It is the flipping of the script. It is the justice of God showing up. You remember the the moment where Aaron's sons, Aaron the great priest, and his sons Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire, and what did God do? He wiped them out. He killed them. And what did God say to their dad when their dad showed up and saw his two sons dead after offering strange fire on the altar? And God said, among Aaron, note well, among those who come near me, I will be regarded as holy. And the text says, and Aaron held his peace. You bet he did. The justice of God showed up. So verses five to seven is basically a how it started versus how it's going. We're we're walking all the way back to the priest Levi himself. We've heard the Levitical priest, the priest of Levi, comes back to Levi himself and now he describes in verse five how it started. This is what Levi was like, verse five. You see it, he revered me. He revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from, not to iniquity, he turned them from that. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. Verse seven, verse eight rather, you on the other hand have turned from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So in turn, that's why I said measure for measure, I have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you're not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. Let's just pause here because there is a a sobering kind of low-hanging fruit application for church leaders, for elders, teachers. In the New Testament, it's not just Old Testament stuff. In the New Testament, James writes these words, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater Strictness. The Apostle Paul would say to Timothy, watch your life and watch your teaching. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. If you don't watch your life, Timothy, and if you don't watch your teaching, there will be dramatic impacts in your own life and in the church. It's sobering. But in another sense, what God says to priests in the Old Testament applies to every believer. Why? Because Peter says, the apostle Peter says, you are, 1 Peter chapter two, you are a what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, present 
your bodies. He's talking to believers. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. You're presenting sacrifices. And he says, present them holy to God. Present holy sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable sacrifices to God. So we're all on the hook for this, right? This is not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept. The measure of our devotion is reflected in the sacrifices given. Are we offering shoddy sacrifices? Are are we offering God scraps, roadkill, leftovers? We flipping nickels at the worth of God. He won't have it. And since Malachi's words here center around the worship of the temple, it's good to be reminded that our assemblies, our gatherings this morning, this matters. This is heavy stuff. God is here. God promises to gather. In, every time his people gather in his name, he promises to be among us. He, scripture says, inhabits the praises of his people. He presides Every Sunday, this is an awesome, awesome thing. He presides in holiness and in grace over every gathering of his people on the planet today. God presides in holiness and grace over every gathering of his people. He's there to satisfy them. He's there to reveal his word. He's there to be glorified among his people. He's there to be enjoyed. So by way of application, when... When you come to church, do you think about how you come? Does this, ma- does this weigh something to you? When you come to church, pray for a responsive heart. To be callous in the presence of God. That, that's probably my greatest fear. That my heart could grow so cold that I could walk into the place where God meets with his people and I could hear the singing of the gospel, and I could reflect on the glories of Calvary, and I could hear his word addressing me and never think twice and saunter out of the room as if God had not spoken, touch holy things as if they weren't holy things. Christian, keep warm the flame of your love for Jesus. Stay low before God. Stay humble before his word. Malachi is issuing words of warning to God's wayward people. And this is a truth for us to hold on to. God's warnings are an evidence of his grace. God's warnings are an evidence of his grace. There are lots of warnings In the New Testament, again, this is not just things that we hear in the Old Testament. There's lots of really grave, heavy, awesome warnings in the New Testament. And they're an act of God's grace. The the no swimming sign near the watering hole somewhere in Australia that has a picture of a crocodile. That's a gift to the would-be swimmer. (laughs) That's a blessing, right? That sign isn't there to cramp your style. It's there to save your life. The warnings of God are a gift. They're an act of God's grace to save us from what would be our destruction. Think about it this way. If God gave up on his Old Testament people, we wouldn't be reading this. 
He wouldn't be lowering the boom on his people, right? He's doing this to shake them up. He's doing this to wake them up to his own glory, his claims, what he's done, what they needed to hear. The book of Malachi is, if you will, it's, it's God the Father writing a letter to his Old Testament prodigal son. This is what it sounds, this is what it sounds like for God to leave the porch light on. Malachi, the book of Malachi is God saying, come on back. There's only destruction out there. Turn back toward me. Repent. I'm reclaiming your worship. It starts today. If your heart this morning, if your heart has walked away from God, these words are here so you can come back to him this morning. This isn't just ancient history. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. Come back to the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. One step of repentance and your home. Trust in Christ again. But let there be no mistake. There's teeth in this passage for a reason. We can't have God on whatever terms we make up. <laughs> we, um, we can't have God's rescue without God's rule. We can't have Jesus as Savior and not take him as Lord. This, this is basically God saying, ultimate reality will finally be vindicated. No one can deny ultimate reality and not feel it in the end. It's kind of what God is saying. Nobody can deny ultimate reality, which ultimate reality is God is the center. God is the most glorious being in the universe. God is deserving of his, his worship and his praise. And God contends for nothing with more justice than the honor of his own name. Malachi is saying, priests, I need you to hear me. If you keep this up, God's gonna come to church, but he's gonna come to church in a way you wish he didn't. You think about nominal religion. You think about cultural Christianity, which prevails in these parts, doesn't it? Cultural Christianity teaches us to lowball God. To lowball God with religious routines, outward formalism, but God sees. He sees the heart. Cultural Christianity is loud when it's time to lay claim to God's blessings and dodgy when it's time to carry the cross. Jesus said something really shocking. Don't follow me unless you take up your cross. Did he really say that? Yeah. If, if you're not willing to take up your cross, you shouldn't come with me. You know, as a church, there are things that we could say, there are things that we could do that would effectively communicate, God, you no longer rule this church. Jesus writes seven letters to churches in the New Testament. They're found in the book of Revelation. Um, they're toothy as well. And Jesus basically, in many of them, says the same thing. Come back to a heart of worship or I'll snatch my spirit out of your fellowship. I will start removing lampstands. Don't think I won't. I will start removing lampstands. The spirit of God will evacuate the building. And because you've given yourself to idolatry, by that point you won't even know he's gone or care that he's gone. And that's when you're in a really bad way. Stunning words from God. In chapter one, verse 10, you see it? You might want to highlight this or some way mark it. 
because God's saying something really stunning. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors. And you can almost imagine the people disputing with this. God, you, you ordained the temple. We, we have texts in the Old Testament, in the books of Moses, that have long lists of specifications. What kind of lumber you wanted us to use when we built this thing. What kind of gold, all the inlaid, all that stuff, all the specs of this place were ordained by you. I don't think you'd tear down your own institution. Oh, wouldn't I? is God's response in the book of Malachi. Jesus comes in the pages of the New Testament. He turns over tables where? In this place, in that holy temple. And it was the incarnation of the God of Malachi. It was the God who says, this was supposed to be a place of my glory and now I'm closing the doors. If I don't have your all, I don't want your worship. Cavalier attitude toward God's grace reveals we haven't understood the gospel. Say that again. A cavalier attitude toward God's grace reveals we haven't understood the gospel. We haven't understood the lengths to which a just God went in order to make his mercy available to rebels. Here's how the, the, the logic of the gospel works in the life of the believer. You will only feel that grace is amazing after you've grasped that grace is not what you deserve. Right, so it's that, it's that heavy end that creates the gladness, the lift, the joy, the singing. That's when the singing really starts, is when we see what our sins justly deserve and yet what we have been given by the mercy of God. God's love isn't sentimental. It's holy, sacrificial, and in a right sense, jealous love. And we're going to see that in Malachi, especially next week when the, the metaphor of marriage is used. Malachi's basically saying this to the people. God is going to reclaim something. It was always his, but you got confused for a minute, and he wants to reclaim it. And the thing that he's going to reclaim is his praise from your life. He's reclaiming worship so the name of this two-year emphasis, we're calling it too strong. Just think about it. Even the metaphor of strengthening can be helpful because anybody who takes exercising seriously knows it involves some degree of discomfort, right? There's kind of this, this pattern. There's exertion, soreness, stretching, strength, repeat. Exertion, soreness, stretching, strength, a lot of, I think, what we're going to be seeing in the book of Acts is going to be kind of the stretching. Malachi is like, hey, I'm here for the soreness. I'm here for the soreness part, <laughs> right? He's, he's meddling. He's going to do some good work in us. I heard someone say about his Christian life, every nine weeks, I can't even remember who said this. Maybe I read it, but every nine weeks, I need a spiritual overhaul. <laughs> part of the reason I'm choosing Malachi for us in this series is because I think I need a shakeup, and I'm kind of inviting you to the party. So I don't want to be alone. It's going to be uncomfortable for all of us, but we're going to be in it together, right? Malachi's here to do some good work. God does some good work through these kind of edgy words. And before we're done, I just got to ask this question. Does anybody this morning want to get right with God? 
I mean right here and right now. Anybody want to get right with God? Anybody want to repent? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. You want to repent, you want to turn from self, you want to look to Christ who is more than enough. You want to do that this morning, now's your time. You could do it right, right where you are. I don't want us to leave only having reflected on the fact that God is holy without remembering that the holy God came in love and he died with his arms wide open so that anybody who wants to run to him can run into the arms of grace. I hope that's you this morning. Repent and believe. Look to Christ. We're not gonna forget the gospel. As we hear Malachi thundering here in the Old Testament, we're not gonna forget the gospel. Grace is gonna mean so much more because of the things we're gonna hear in this book. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of repentance. You don't have to say the words. God knows if this is what you want. So let's bow our heads together. God, I, I haven't understood where you're supposed to fit in my life. I've been confused, I've been rebellious, I've been wayward even if I haven't done it expressly with my actions, yet my heart is going astray. I'm ignoring your words. I'm turning to other things. And this morning I'm seeing I've been wrong. Jesus, I wanna follow you. I'm, I'm gonna need a lot of help doing that. Would you please help? When I fall down, in coming days, would you please give me strength to stand? When my heart grows cold, warm it again. Father, that's what I pray for our entire church family, that our cold hearts, perhaps having grown distant from you, would be warmed again by the fires of your word, by the, warmed by the breathing of the Holy Spirit upon the embers of the word. Quicken us, illuminate our minds and hearts. Wake us up to glory again. Reclaim our worship, we pray. In Jesus' name.